Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm just Justin McElroy. You already did that. You did that first. Not only did I do that, I actually did that last episode. So it's kind of getting to be kind of a fun tradition here, isn't it? No. No. Okay. You're not crazy about it. No, I don't love it. For next week, come up with something else. New. Perhaps. Some new stink. Yeah, some new material. Some new stink to Let's put on not. this fastball. Uh, my my poor mom is sick. It's very sad. Yes. Uh, my mom started out with pink eye a few days ago. Did you get your, her permission to share this very personal story? I told her that the episode was going to be about what she had. Okay. Uh, and then it has... This is the episode where you're going to reveal the secret medicine that you have that could fix her right away that she's convinced that you're holding out on her. Yes. Mom always thinks that doctors are holding out on her. Uh, She progressed to fevers and respiratory symptoms and generally kind of flu-like, I would say, Mm -hmm. a flu-like illness. And uh, it has become apparent to me, we haven't actually taken her in and had her tested because as we will discuss, I don't know that there's much of a point in it at this point um, because there's no, that wouldn't change treatment, I guess is what I mean. Uh, But I believe my mother has adenovirus. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I think that's a dun, dun, dun. I don't actually know if it's dun, dun, dun worthy. Well, I was a little concerned. I went to to look through our email to see if anybody had ever suggested this topic so I could thank them, even though I kind of decided to do it because of mom. I still wanted to thank anybody who suggested it, and no one ever has. Huh. So I'm worried that nobody is interested in adenovirus. You should. That is a worry. I'm (laughs) thinking, just as you're saying that now, I'm thinking about the tweet to get this one out there, and I don't know. Can you come up with like a better name for it? Is that maybe something we could do this episode? Something a better not, name for adenovirus? Not really? What's the it's real just, name of yellow fever? Right? What's the real name for yellow fever? We just. What do you mean? We call it. Is it just fever? yellow fever? Oh man. Okay. What about? Um, okay. Influenza. Nothing. The flu. Dramatic. Sounds like a noir villain. So that's what I'm saying is there like a sexier name for adenovirus that we can help that will get uh-huh. people excited about it. No. Okay. I mean, you can call it by like what it causes. Like a lot of people get like pharyngoconjunctivitis. Pharyngoconjunctivitis? Pharyngoconjunctivitis. The fringe. 
No, Ferengio, like fa- like Ferengio. I know like the Sydney. Ferengio. I know, but I'm just saying it's a catchy name. Um, why don't you ever let me brand I'm illnesses? I'm sorry. I'll keep on it. I'll come up with something. I'm sorry that I don't have anything better for you. Um, That's so my job. I'm the idea guy. <laughs> All right. Well, you work on that. In the meantime, okay. can I tell you about adenovirus? Sure. Is that acceptable? Do. Okay. So I, I want to talk about it because I fear that we're all about to get it from my mom. It's a it's a medium-sized virus. Uh, there are around 57 different serotypes that can cause disease in people. What's a serotype? So there's you like... this word with me five times uh-huh. today, and I still don't know what it means. I'm sorry. It's I was what too embarrassed you would, to admit it. what you would probably call a strain. Okay. A type. Yeah. Well, there's like the... There's like the species or well, like, yeah, like the species and then the species are further divided out into like sort of subspecies. Got it. Things. Okay. But serotypes is what we cause, cause them. Various, um, very closely related, but different. Got it. Perfect. Okay. Uh, and there, there are about 57 different ones that are divided into seven different species and, uh, what, depending on which one you get determines what kind of symptoms you might get from it and the severity. And you may not have heard of adenovirus because a lot of times what it causes is sort of like a cold. And so you probably would never know you had it because you wouldn't get tested because you'd wouldn't be that bad, right? No, right. So for most people, actually most people, uh, by the time they're 10 years old, have been infected with some strain or another of adenovirus at some point. So you've almost certainly had this. Um, it was first isolated in the 1950s from adenoid tissue. And so that's why it was called adenovirus. That's oh, we... the adenoid tissue mm-hmm. that one can find in the body. Mm-hmm. At... Kind of like up, yeah. in, up in the, in the back, of back of the nasopharynx the naso- kind of yes. area. Yeah. Got it. Back in the nasopharynx. Like where might that be? Like nose, throat, upper throat, nose. Up there. Or getting there. Mm-hmm. You remember this is a podcast for non-doctors, <laughs> right? You do have to slow things down just a little bit. So it's part I of mean, this, I know. Part obviously, of this I know tissue. all this. If you've heard of adenoids, it's because you may have gotten them removed when your tonsils were removed. Just while they were in there? They do. They remove them for the same kinds of they're reasons. Pointless. So they don't get inflamed. Well, they're not. It's not that they're pointless. It's that, that you can live without them. I don't want to have this conversation again. We had a whole episode where we tried the... Um, pancreas no it was the spleen spleen that's right so the symptoms depend on the strain as well as uh the age of the person who gets it and their immune status because if you have a compromised immune system it can be worse as which is true of many things Mm -hmm. uh you can get no symptoms at all some people have an adenovirus infection never know they had it are they contagious still Mm, yes they can be yes they can still shed the virus in their stool even if they didn't necessarily have symptoms. Uh, you might get a cold. You get a sore throat. You get conjunctivitis, so inflammation of the eye, the conjunctiva of the eye, like pink eye. That's Got what it. you would think of it as. Pink is eye. it pink eye? Uh, it is. I mean, it is. I don't actually know pink eye is like a th- pink eye. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can get bronchitis. You can get gastroenteritis, like diarrhea. You can get fevers, of course. In younger kids, we worry about things like pneumonia as severe complications. It's not common, but it can happen in, in little kids. 
in older people, we worry about things like inflammation of the brain or inflammation of the tissues around the brain and spinal cord meningitis what I'm talking about. So meningitis and encephalitis, those are, again, very serious but extremely rare complications uh, that we can see in certain age groups and in, in immunocompromised people. But for the most part, you get fevers and, you know, sore throat, maybe, a, maybe symptoms of pink eye, uh, maybe some upper respiratory symptoms, maybe some diarrhea, and you feel lousy for quite a while. That's the other thing about adenovirus is it can knock you down for a week or two. You know, it's it's pretty significant. It's it's more more so than a cold. It lingers. It lingers, lingers a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Is it more contagious than a cold? Would you say? It is very contagious. Oh. Yeah, the virus is pretty hardy. It can survive on surfaces for a while. So that's a that's a distinguishing factor among different viruses. Ones that can survive uh, outside the human body better tend to be more contagious because if you cough or sneeze on a surface and then somebody touches that surface. They can pick it up. Man, this thing is insidious. Ever since you told me about it, I keep feeling like I'm getting sick. I know. My I, eyes have been itching ever the, since. My eyes are watering now. I'm like, well, that's it. I got it's, it. It's allergies right now. We are we already had this before. But anyway, uh, so the the big problem is you get sick for a while. It's very contagious. It's spread. Like I said, the virus is really hardy, and it's spread through respiratory droplets. So if you cough or sneeze. That's it. And you get it on your hands or on your body and then you touch other people or if you get it on a surface and then somebody else touches that surface. Um, it can also be spread through the fecal oral route. Uh, so like I said, the virus is even after you get better, you continue to have virus, what we call shed in your stool. So it comes out in your stool. Um, so swimming pools have been epicenters for these infections. Fun. Great. Sort of like the one my parents have. <laughs> Great. Oh, man. Excellent. Oh, God, is head itching part of it? My head itches. No, Uh, but uh, some good news. My dad is very attentive when it comes to pool maintenance. That's true. He is obsessive about the chlorine levels. He blows it out. And an appropriately chlorinated pool should kill the adenovirus. You should be fine. That's why we chlorinate, folks. The the outbreaks have largely occurred in unchlorinated, or not, I shouldn't say unchlorinated, but underchlorinated, or like there have been specific uh, outbreaks where the chlorination system like failed for a while. Um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They've actually found it to be like a little hardier in water than like, you know, polio is spread through water. Sure, right. That, we talked about that in the polio episode, that swimming pools were feared during the polio outbreaks in the summer. Um, it's a little, it's a little hardier than the enterovirus that, that causes polio. It's a little hardier than worse hepatitis than polio. A. Well, I wouldn't say it's worse, certainly, but it, it can survive a little better in water. Wow. So it's very contagious is the point. There's actually one, I read about a whole, uh, series of outbreaks that occurred in swimming pools and like how many people were infected. And this is how they kind of figured out this connection to the water. There was one that I thought was, uh, especially insidious it happened at a summer camp in North Carolina in 1991. There was a one-acre man-made pond that got infected. It became the epicenter of an outbreak. Which see, it sh- it doesn't seem fair that a pond should do it, right? It, who's getting in a one-acre man-made pond? Well, the people at the summer camp. Okay, man, like, I don't know. I feel like you're playing with fire at that point anyway. The campers who swam daily uh, did not, like, they, about 
48% of them swam daily, and they got sick at the same rate that people who only swam once a week. So, so it, it was it's pretty intense. intense. Yeah, yeah. They, they were trying to figure out, like, how much did you have to be exposed to this water to get it? And it turned out like any not, at not all. Not much. Not much at all. All right. Yeah. It, um, there were there was also a high rate of infection among towel sharers. Don't. What? <laughs> this <laughs> summer camp sucks. I want to go say, who's like, okay, kids, you're dry enough. Paul, go ahead and pass your towel on to the next kid. <laughs> I thought that was some pretty intense towel sharing, too, because, like, when I think of getting out of, I guess, the pond, the swimming hole, and toweling off, it's sort of like a more of a dabbing, like, just kind of a general, I mean, not like, I don't up, get naked. Way up in your butt cheeks. Right. It's not like an after shower <laughs> towel off, right? Unless maybe it is in, at this summer camp. It's a very hygienic summer camp, ironically. Like, they got up in there with their pond towels oh, and then yeah. passed them on to the next hey, pond Hey, pass that pond swimmer. towel over here, Rick. I need to get dry, too, all over, if you know what I mean. So they went uh, to confirm it. They got a sample of pond water six feet below the surface, and they found adenovirus. They were able to isolate it from the water. That's a scary virus to me, man. Yeah, one that can live. It's like it's, it's like in a pond, and it's still floating around. Tiny enough to, invisible jaws. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, but I mean, again, like I polio is a fair comparison. But the, polio was the same problem mm-hmm. um, back when outbreaks of that happened before the you know vaccine that everybody should get. Yep. Um, because of all the life saving. <laughs> no, we know. So anyway, in 1953, one of uh, one of our favorite, my favorite people that we discuss on this podcast, not Plenty the Elder, it's 1953, folks. If you were about to say Plenty the Elder, I did say it was 1953. So, yeah, come on. it's it's, Come it's, on. He's like, a, he's become a recurring favorite here on the show. Maurice Hilleman. Maurice Hilleman. Uh, who was working at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, uh, he was called to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, to investigate what they thought was a flu outbreak uh-huh. in uh, among among troops. So they thought, ah, there's this a big bad influenza outbreak that is happening. Uh, let's get Hilleman down here because at the time he'd already made his mark as a an excellent uh, epidemiologist and vaccine specialist researcher hero. <laughs> all That's around, just what his business card said. All around great guy uh, <laughs> who also didn't brag about it. Uh, he he went and he checked out the outbreak and he got some swabs from some soldiers and he went back to his lab and he started isolating it and he found that it is not it was not flu. It was a whole new type of virus, one that belonged to a family that had just recently been discovered and named. The adenos. The adenos. The adenoviruses. So uh, Hilleman found that these recruits were suffering from a pretty severe flu-like illness that turned out to be an adenovirus. Uh, And they pretty quickly after that, they started checking out more and more army bases and finding that military recruits got adenovirus at a very high rate. Uh, they started to find that a lot of the cases of acute respiratory illness, so what we call, talk about is like we call URIs in medicine, upper respiratory infections. Sure. Uh, a lot of them turned out to be due to adenoviruses, um, which was very different than the general population. 
most people who are most civilians when they walk into a doctor's office with some sort of cold or flu-like illness don't have adenovirus but a lot of these military personnel on the that were living in training you know like in basic training situations did in fact have adenovirus so it it seemed to be very specifically targeted at kind of the living in close quarters that occurs Mm -hmm. you know which is why when you when you look through outbreaks that have happened outside of uh Military bases, you find like summer camps as a common place or college campuses, places where people live in really close, close quarters. Sure. So uh, it did have a low mortality, they found, the adenovirus. It usually was not something that was fatal. However, it was associated, some of the various serotypes, the different strains, were associated with pretty significant morbidity, meaning you got sick. And you got so sick that you couldn't work, and you got sick for a while. So you actually had, like, and because it was so contagious, you had large numbers of troops who were down and out at the same time. Um, And this is not great for training situations. For national security. Yeah, sure. It's not great when you think about that you, I'm assuming that basic training happens on a certain schedule, and... You know, an interruption of a week or two is a big deal. Right. And especially if you're talking, you know, three-fourths of your of your base are down at the same time. You start over, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a huge interruption, plus the cost. The cost of everybody being sick and needing medical attention and yeah. the lost time and all that. Uh, so because of all that, there was a, a big effort at that point to come up with a vaccine. Oh. The idea being that if we had a vaccine, we could keep soldiers healthy prevent loss of work days, all the costs associated with the illness, the interruptions in their training. And of course, I I suppose somebody would have made the point that if you carry this out to like an actual military, like active duty scenario, it would be very bad to get everybody sick with adenovirus at the same time. So, so it made a lot of sense to come up with a vaccine really targeted at military recruits at the time, not, not at the general public. So Hilleman started the work, and uh, based on what he began, uh, an inactivated adenovirus vaccine was developed in 1956. So a, when we say inactivated, we mean a killed virus vaccine. So why don't I have it? Why do I have to stress out about your mom? Why don't I have the vaccine? Well, Justin, I'll, I'll tell you the history of the adenovirus vaccine, but before I do that, Let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is, is, is part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So, okay, uh, so Hillman and, and the scientists that, that continued his work, they, they made this vaccine. Uh, it protected against two, two strains, by the way, four and seven, because those are the most ooh, common. Ooh, nasty um, strains. On, on, those are the most common that they were isolating among military recruits. Okay. Um, they added type three to the vaccine a little later, but even Hillman was like, I, I I love reading papers straight from Hillman because I feel like I'm not reading about him. I'm actually reading his work, and it makes me feel a little closer to him. Um, he's like a rock star. He made so many vaccines. So many. So he, many. But he, I would have been happy in my life making one. <laughs> if really? I made one cool vaccine, I would have felt really good about it. But so Hilleman even noted, like, I don't know that adding three was really necessary. It really didn't get us too much. There's a, there was some they noted they, they would note later that there were some cross coverage of different strains, which you see sometimes we say that with the flu vaccine as well, that even if we guess wrong and the flu strain that's prevalent that year was not one of the ones that was targeted with the vaccine, there is some cross coverage sometimes. So you mm-hmm. are less likely to get as sick if you get the vaccine. Um, so they, they did see some of that. So he said that adding the three probably wasn't very helpful, but the four and the seven were the main two that were targeted. They were the main two that they were finding were a problem. Now, there were some problems with the manufacturing of the adenovirus vaccine. There were two. One, pretty straightforward. Hillman had even noted in his initial paper that it's got to be a pretty potent vaccine to be effective. And so if you aren't very careful with the manufacturing process of the vaccine, you won't actually have a kind of 
to put it in an easy way to understand, a strong enough vaccine to get the immune response you need. Thank you for not saying to put it in Justin terms like you normally do. I appreciate that for the show. So they had some variability among different vaccine lots, and so some of them weren't as effective as others. Um, I I found notes that, like, the vaccine wasn't very effective. It wasn't that the vaccine—the vaccine as meant to be created wasn't quite effective. It's just that there were some lots that were were made incorrectly. There also was a problem with, and I think this merits just a little bit of conversation— Uh, There were some of the lots that were found to be infected with SV40, simian virus 40. Uh, Now, is that anything like UB40? Nothing like UB40. Fair enough. Now, SV40, if you have, I'm going to guess if you're listening to our podcast, you're probably not anti-vaccine because I think most of those people would be too angry at this point to continue to listen to my voice. Yes. But you may know some people who are anti-vaccine and they may have mentioned SV40 to you before because SV40 is a virus that causes cancer in hamsters. We know that. Okay. It is uh, isolated from the kidney cells of rhesus monkeys. And these cells were used in the production of some of these early vaccines. They used some of these kidney cells for monkeys, and the cells just happened to be infected with this virus, right? So the virus ended up in some of the vaccines. Now, this caused quite a stir when it was discovered in the polio vaccine. It wasn't just the adenovirus vaccine. The mm. polio vaccine was also found to have been contaminated by this virus. Some some of it, not all of the polio vaccines, but some lots. Um, and as a result, by 1963, all of those vaccines had been pulled out of circulation. They were tested for SV40. And from 1963 on, no, no vaccines have contained SV40. Now... It is important to know this fact because a lot of people will use this uh, this example as a reason not to get vaccinated. Because sure the vaccines are dangerous or carelessly yes, created. Exactly. Uh, and they will try to say that people got cancer from vaccines. Well, here's a very important thing to note. SV40 has never been proven to cause cancer in humans. We've never been able to find that by researching it. It did in hamsters. <laughs> But not in humans. Everything causes cam- cancer in hamsters. <laughs> well, I don't know that everything does. But Almost everything. SV40 can. Uh, I'm not saying they're still, uh, they've still continued to study it to see, did we just do it under the wrong circumstances? Is it still possible? Nobody has completely said it's impossible, but so far we've never proven that it can. Mm-hmm. Secondly, all the people who received polio vaccines in the time period that they could have been infected, and all the people who received adenovirus vaccines in this time period are long dead. No, ah, there has been no. They have all been studied, and there was no increase in the incidence of cancer among these patients. Got it. <laughs> so this is not true. If you hear people say, "Well, SV forty vaccines give you cancer," nope, nope, they don't. Nope, still don't. You're adult. Vaccines are still great. Yeah. Uh, but because they found SV40 in some of the adenovirus vaccines, uh, they pulled all of these off the market. They went back to the drawing board, so to speak, and they came out with a live virus vaccine, which it was a little bit easier to make sure it was 
it was effective. Okay. You didn't have to worry so much about variability between different lots as they did with the other vaccine. Um, because it it was live virus, they actually ended up making two, one against four and one against seven instead of it being combined into one shot like it was before. Okay. These are actually two separate pills that you take. Pills? It's an oral vaccine. Even better. It's a tablet vaccine. So there are two tablets. One uh, is a live virus. military people? So, yes, at the time... I and, just think it's funny that we're trying to save military people the the pain and suffering of getting shots. They can handle it, I bet. I bet almost anybody in the military can handle getting shots. They just, they were able to make it this way. They made them um, enteric... It's preferable. No, no, no shade. <laughs> they made them enteric-coated so that uh, they could survive in the stomach and, you know, and, they, and then you'd get vaccinated from the tablet they build up an immune response from the tablet instead of a shot um basically they kind of caused what we would think of as an asymptomatic meaning no symptoms and completely non-communicable mm-hmm. you were not infectious um gi tract kind of infection like hmm. they just like a very like a, they they kind of, the virus got down there and then your immune system attacked it and then you build up an antibody response great but you weren't you weren't uh, going to pass it along to anybody else, and you didn't have any symptoms, um, so it was great. So it worked really well. Uh, they gave the vaccines to different groups. It was, it was all tried out among the military. So they gave it to different troops, and then measured rates of adenovirus among people who got four, people who got seven, people who got both the vaccines to four and seven, people who got neither, and they Uh-oh. figured it all out. You got a placebo. That, yes, then the placebo, and they did all this research, and they figured out that you know what, these both work really well. They greatly reduce the rates of adenovirus, and they should probably take both because it's hard to predict if they might get an outbreak of four or seven. Both of them cause problems, so let's give them both. And we should probably just give it to them as soon as they show up. So it became the standard that within, and it, well, the way it was initially written, within hours after their arrival at basic training. Sure. I mean, starting in 1971, you would give uh, recruits both of these tablets. Um, and this is great, and this should have been the end of the story mm-hmm. in terms of military personnel because they're all getting vaccinated as soon as they show up. Sure. However, there was only one company making the vaccines. LexCorp. <laughs> and, Batman, and then Superman shut them down. Now, this would be, this would be a weird twist. Right. Now, Wyeth Laboratories uh, in 1994... They, they were the only people making the, the adenovirus vaccine, said, hey, look, U.S. government, we need a new facility to continue to make this. Uh, we are not going to be able to continue to meet modern production standards unless we get a bunch of money to build a new facility. And if you won't give it to us, we're not making it anymore. And we're the only ones making it, so you better give us some money. <laughs> And uh, a pool. We want a pool in the middle of it. All your soldiers are going to have diarrhea. Uh, so. Um, Pink eye. <laughs> they, they continued for a while, as long as their equipment was functional, to, to make the vaccine. Um, in the meantime, the government kind of went to other manufacturers and said, will you make it, please? please. We need this because Wyeth is about to stop making it. Uh, the Finally, their facilities were not working the way they expected them to. So they stopped manufacturing the vaccine because they couldn't 
they felt safely manufactured anymore. Uh, and then they ran out in 1999. So the, the rest of the vaccine was depleted or it had all expired by 1999. Uh, so they had nobody to make the vaccine at that point. And what immediately followed this? Yeah, a lot of people getting it. Yeah, new recruits started getting adenovirus again. So they started seeing cases rise, um, and they started, uh, again, losing work days, and the costs went up, and all of the things that they already knew were a problem prior to this. I'm going to ask a question that you may not have an answer to, but I'm just kind of curious. Why, I mean, I guess people are just bringing it from outside. It just seems like for years of giving this to everyone in the military, it seems like there would be, like, lower not viral load that's not the word what i'm trying to say but like you're thinking of herd immunity yeah 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 Yeah. i understand what you're saying but and again i am not a i'm not a military person but this is my concept my idea is that when you go to basic training you're coming from civilian life right yes it doesn't matter and once you're finished you don't necessarily stay there right you go somewhere else you're, right. You know, you you might be moved to a different place would be my thought. So the yeah. the places where the outbreaks were happening were being continually refreshed with mm. unvaccinated, fresh new new recruits, new blood coming in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so even though I guess if some of the personnel, I don't know, do you get to like graduate and then hang around like those people who come back and see your teachers, come back and hang around their high school all the time. Maybe you can, but and they you would probably in, be you fine. Sit, you sit in with the drum line one more time, <laughs> like like Matthew McConaughey in that in that what movie is that in? Oh, uh, Days all right, of all right, all right. Yeah, that's good. yeah. So that one, <laughs> it's a good Matt. Uh, but I guess I guess they would be okay. But all the new recruits are still vulnerable, and they're all still in close contacts. Anyway, so people started getting it again. Uh, at this point. The military realized, ah, we, we got to do something. Okay. So in 2001, uh, they, the government contracted with a new manufacturer, Bar Pharmaceuticals, and provided the money that was necessary uh, to start making the vaccines again, both type 4 and type 7. They had to kind of go back through the whole process of clinical trials and regulatory requirements and everything all over again. And it wasn't until March of 2011 Ten years later, the vaccine was relicensed and able to be uh, used. So by October of 2011, they started using it again. Over this course of time, over the ten years that it took to reestablish the adenovirus vaccination program, they invested $100 million in the process. Probably would have been cheaper to build those guys a new building. <laughs> the uh, Just as a comparison, why is the... Um, what they had said back in 94 and 95 when they were asking for money, they estimated that they needed between 3 and $5 million to yeah. make the changes necessary to continue. With inflation, it's pretty close. So anyway, it was the, however much money it costs, I'm on the side of science, it was the right thing to do because once they started uh, vaccinating military personnel again, Rates of adenovirus due to type 4 and type 7 f- begin to fall again dramatically. Um, and, and it's important to note that in the time period between when the vaccine ran out in 99 and when the new vaccine was introduced mm-hmm. in 2011, eight people in the military died of adenovirus. Now, I know that sounds like a small number, 
Because no. especially on this podcast, because we talk about things like influenza and smallpox and the sure. plague that you know kill thousands and thousands, millions of people. But if you're talking about young, healthy, you know, military service members who came in, it maybe in peak physical condition, and then are taken down by something that is preventable. So I'm, one is too many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I hope your mom is just going to skip that part, right? Yeah, I hope she's not going to listen to this. She'll just skip that part. She I won't let her listen to this till she's all better. We'll make her a special edited version. So it is very unlikely that one would ever die from it's adenovirus. It's likely enough that eight people in the military die. But, but it is possible in a severe enough outbreak that they can suffer severe complications and, and it can be fatal. Oh, again, very oh. unlikely, but possible. And so it is, and the reason that they did that, they actually did the study to like prove this and publish this. The reason that the researchers did this, even though it was a lower number in the grand scheme of things, was to say that um, the more successful, this is what they said, the more successful a vaccine is, the more quickly the need for it will be forgotten. So yeah. we have to remember, and I think that that can apply, that can be applied to a lot of the vaccines that we're talking about today, specifically like measles. Um, nobody remembers what a big deal measles was because our vaccine was so good at preventing it. Right. Everybody thinks measles isn't a big deal. And unfortunately, it's taking the current measles outbreak for people to realize like, oh, maybe measles actually was a big problem. And maybe it really was good that we were vaccinated against it. And maybe everybody who tells me not to get the vaccine is totally wrong. And a no doy. They should stop. Um, so what do we I do? To, you know, when we tell people to rate and subscribe and help share this show, they often forget that if everybody did it, none of this stuff would happen. <laughs> just remember, I'm just saying, I don't mean that to sound like a threat. I'm just saying. I, I don't if know. Everybody listened to Sawbones, we'd be a lot healthier as a society. I wish. I, well, if everybody uh, believed what I, I said. I wish but... too. Are you kidding me? Ad, ad rates for that? A podcast everybody listens to. Mm -hmm. That'd be nice. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, we're going to rename this show Yacht Talk because it's just me and Sid talking about our yachts. If it was a podcast everybody listened to, we'd have to rename it Serial. <laughs> um. So for the for the rest of us civilians who who don't get the vaccine, what do we do? Beg for it. Well, no. Buy it on eBay. Well, you just. Uh, I mean, for most of us, it's just it just sucks. Supportive care. You just wait it out like. Drink plenty of fluids. Stay hydrated. Um, yeah, I mean, I I had it actually. Charlie and I had this a couple years ago. I figured it out because Charlie was sick for days with a fever, and it scared the heck out of me. And then I woke up and my eye was matted shut, and I realized like, ah, oh, crap, we have had no virus. Yeah, that's when it hit me. But um, because it can manifest different ways, even among like family members during the same outbreak, you know, because of our age differences. Uh, if you are, if you do get adenovirus or you think you have it and you are having sustained high fevers, or you're having neck pain or you are confused or you can't stop vomiting or anything like that, trouble breathing, please go see a doctor immediately. Um, for most people, it's just something that sucks and you ride it out and you get better. But if you're having anything that worries you, you'll get checked out. It doesn't hurt to get checked out. Um, you may just need time and fluids, but... You, know, you should always get checked out. There yep. was a case of this at UVA just recently, okay. like yesterday it was reported. Wow. Okay. So, um, and now it's, like I said, it's always concerning on college campuses because close, close quarters. quarters. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, one interesting note about adenovirus, so you you don't have to hate on it too much. Can I say one cool thing? Sure. The adenovirus is uh, has been used in a lot of different clinical trials to try to uh, as a vehicle for gene therapy. It's a good like package so to speak to deliver genes to cells in gene therapy mm-hmm. so it's under investigation for that as well as uh for treatment of cancer wow cool it's it's a way to the virus can kill cancer cells on its own but it has also been a way to like activate your immune system to attack cancer cells by infecting them with the virus mm. all right um and then uh there are also they're, they're different genes that you can use the virus, like put the genes in the virus and then use the virus as a like Trojan horse to get into the cancer cells and deliver these genes that can stop the cancer. It's all it's all still experimental. It's all still clinical trial investigative stuff. But it's uh, adenovirus has been found to be a really good virus for this kind of therapy. I know you think that um, that's really cool. And maybe I'm just a, a softie, but I just really wish your mom wasn't sick. And I, I guess hey. I think it's kind of a shame that people get it still, but I, I guess it is cool. So it's it's a good point. I mean, it's pretty cool, Justin. I just wish people. I just it, maybe I'm just sentimental, but I don't. I just don't like to see your mom sick. Hi, Mary. Uh, I, we want to say thank you to people who sent stuff to our um, PO box, PO box fifty four, Honeywood, West Virginia two five seven zero six. If you want to send us stuff, you don't have to, but sometimes people send us stuff. Uh, Deanna sent some art. Uh, uh, we got Mercer from Cat and Lynn, a toy from the snaps. EAK sent books. Stephanie sent a prescription book. Colin, Chris, and Thea, and Gus for the Cadberries. Paul for the tick and cards and mug. When uh, Mary got um, ill, Charlie thought it might be the tick that we got. It was a stuffed tick yes. uh, that we received, but she thought maybe that was the culprit, that it was a real tick, and that we all need to be super careful with it. It is not. It's just a big not. stuffed tick, but it's it is creepy tick. looking. Uh, I want to say thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And we hope you get better soon, Mom. Um, oh, and I... Yes, please come watch our children. Yes, we have to watch both Mom. of them by ourselves? Are you kidding me? All I, day? If you are worried, I know I made this podcast sound very dire. If you're worried, my, my mom's going to be just fine. She's okay. Yeah, she's good. She's going to get there. She had some french fries earlier. Yeah, she's, we're keeping her hydrated with grape water, her favorite drink. Uh, and uh, you know how last week on our paternity test episode, I said that this would be a great one for my dad to do on Court Appointed? Yes. They're doing it. Oh, good. Next week on Court Appointed. Perfect. If you want to hear the legal side of paternity testing, you should check out Court Appointed with my dad and my Uncle Michael. Crossover. We can talk about all the legal stuff. Perfect. Um, so I thought I, would, I thought I would mention that. That's going to do it for us, folks. So... Until next week, uh, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now?
soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast.